you were given this way to save yourself and it didn't work and you were given that way to save yourself and it didn't work. You need somebody to come and save you. The Bible is about Jesus and therefore if you understand the whole narrative arc of redemption, every page does whisper his name. Every story is about Jesus. Welcome to the Jesus Storybook Bible Podcast, a place where we remind you that grace can rewrite any story, that hope shines a light through our darkest moments, and that God's love changes lives. Here's your host, New York Times bestselling author, Sally Lloyd-Jones. Hello, I'm Sally Lloyd-Jones, author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which tells the story of God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Welcome to the show. The year I moved from England to New England was the same year Kathy Keller and Tim Keller moved to New York City and planted a church. A few years later, I started going to that church and moved to New York City. I didn't know it then, but a beautiful puzzle piece was being put into place in my life. God was preparing to give me a great gift. I'm sure we can all point back to times in our lives where, though we may not have known it at the time, we now can see that God was arranging the puzzle pieces for us, positioning us where he needed us to be so we could receive the gift he had for us. For me, it was through the Keller's ministry that I came to understand the Bible as one story. That the Bible wasn't a rule book telling me what I'm supposed to be doing to get God to love me. The Bible was a true story about what God had done because he loves me. And that changed everything. Suddenly, it's all about grace. It's not all up to me. What a relief. I sat under Tim's teaching for 10 years, which I refer jokingly as going to Tim Keller University, 10 years before I wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible. But one thing is certain, that book would not have been written without those 10 years learning the rich, deep, beautiful theology of grace. And God knew I needed that. It was how he equipped me for the assignment he had for me. And Tim is in fact the first one I thank in my acknowledgements in the book. Our guest today is Kathy Keller. Kathy is one of the smartest people I know, whip smart. In fact, Tim likes to tell the story about when he and Kathy were students together at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And their professor, Elizabeth Elliot, yes, that Elizabeth Elliot, told Tim that he was her second smartest student. Guess who was her number one smartest student? Kathy. But you'd never know it. She doesn't seek the limelight. In fact, she seems to just try and steer clear of it. I'm in Kathy's women's Bible study and learn so much from her deep theological insights. She has a way of seeing things and expressing them in startlingly fresh ways. And I learn as much as well from her kindness and her gentleness and how she treats people. She respects them. She has time for them. She prays for them and she listens to them. And I also learn from her deep humility. In other words, Kathy practices what she preaches. So without further ado, I can't wait for you to hear from my friend, and now yours, Kathy Keller. 
Hi, I'm Kathy Keller, and my husband Tim and I moved to New York City in 1989 to start a church called Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Since Tim stepped out of Redeemer's pulpit in 2017, we both work for Redeemer City to City, which is our church planning agency. That's where we are now. I was a huge reader from the minute I learned how to, and there was a green bus that had been converted into a bookmobile that arrived in the parking lot of the only shopping center in our little town outside of Pittsburgh every Wednesday, and I would load up on all of the fantasy and fiction books that I could get. But I remember reading a good one about a lion and a witch, but I didn't remember the name of the author. So I asked the librarian slash bus driver if she knew what I was talking about. And she said, oh, yes, yes, yes. I'll have it for you next week. And it was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And that was about second grade. So after that, I was on the lookout by anything that Lewis um, had written. His His works traveled very slowly across the Atlantic. It was very hard to find anything. By his title, I would go to card catalogs in every library that I walked into, and there would be Sinclair Lewis, and there would be other Lewises, but there was never any C.S. Lewis. Nobody had ever heard of him. In fact, when I did my senior thesis on him at Allegheny College in 1972, no one on the English faculty had even heard of him except one fellow, and he was on sabbatical, so it didn't really help me that much. The difficulty of finding titles by him gave me the impression that he was a struggling writer and nobody really knew about him, very obscure, and could probably use some encouragement. So at the age of 12, I wrote him a fan letter and got back a, dear reader, I'm glad you like my books kind of uh, response from him. And I took that as encouragement and uh, wrote him several more times. He was always kind and answered. He, he if you read anything about his biography, he really felt that answering all the mail was a, a less sacred obligation, and he hated it. He loathed it. He said heaven would have no postman in it, but he did. He answered every um, letter that that came to him, even though they were, I mean, if you get C the book C.S. Lewis's Letters to Children, I'm the last four Cathy's in the book, and th they are so... They are so boring. I said something that apparently was had been inveigled against by my English teacher, and he wrote back this very hard to understand letter, at least for a 12-year-old, and he said, oh, your English teacher and I are not the same. She's more like a gardener trying to get you to distinguish flowers from weeds, where I'm more like a botanist, and I'm interested in both as vegetable organisms. And I thought, what? I mean, I've unpacked that in the years since, but I mean, at the time it was like, huh? I made plans to actually visit him because our next door neighbors were English and they were going over to London and taking me along as a sort of nanny babysitter. But he died the same day that JFK was shot. And of course, nobody even noticed um, this obscure English professor dying, and I didn't even hear about it till February um, when the Saturday Evening Post published an essay 
and said the late C.S. Lewis. And I ran around the house screaming, late? What do they mean, late? Late? What do you mean? The pen pal thing was just his sense of obligation to answer and my obtuseness in thinking that he needed encouragement as a writer. Well, I think only the very young would say, I don't need to be saved. Uh, and or or the, Or the willfully blind, because uh, Jesus did say that no one's as blind as those who will not see, but anybody with two brain cells to rub together knows that their life is not the way it ought to be. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. Um, something has gone wrong. And how would, this is Lewis, how would we know something that was gone wrong unless we had some standard that we were judging right against? You don't know that a line is crooked unless you know what a straight line looks like. So why do we have such a, a feeling of being not at home in this world, not that things aren't right, that this is not the way things are supposed to be? Well, because they're, it's not. You need somebody to come and save you. The Bible is about Jesus. And therefore, if you understand the whole narrative arc of redemption, every page does whisper his name. Every story is about Jesus. It feels like I've known Sally since forever, and I, I mean, I really, there are so many instances I can think of, you know, being with Sally in this instance and that instance that I can't remember the first one. When Jesus Storybook Bible came out that summer, I bought 40 copies and took them on vacation with us, and everyone I met I gave one to. That included the president of Wake Forest University and um, businessmen and kids and parents and anyone who would stand still long enough for me to hand one to them because it was such a beautifully interpreted and illustrated version of Tim's teaching that she, she had um, woven the sermons that she heard and illustrated them and interpreted them for children through through her craft through her discipline that it was it made us very very happy my sister is here visiting her um, twin granddaughters in the building next to the building that we live in my niece lives uh, just a, a building away and she overheard um, the nanny putting the girls down for their nap and asking them what they wanted her to read and they said Bible, 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 and they were pointing to the Jesus Storybook Bible, and the, um, the uh, nanny's not a Christian, and she said, your parents read this to you? So my sister's version of the story is that the, the girls, who are two, are evangelizing their nanny by making her read the Jesus Storybook Bible to them. <laughs> This is from the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it's one of my favorite parts. In fact, it's in the introduction, and I, I'm going to probably cry because I cry every time I read it. The Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. 
It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. It's like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see the beautiful picture. My joy meter doesn't really go up into the red zone very often. It gets to contentment and pretty much stays there. Contentment is all I aspire to. Just, okay, things are okay. That's fine. I like okay. Okay is good. But the things that lift me towards joy are really transcendent music and really transcendent truth. And when we get to um, the truth about Jesus coming to save us, um, it, it kicks my joy meter into actually being, having joy stabbing to the point of tears. You can get the Jesus Storybook Bible wherever books are sold. To find out more about the book and all of Sally's other books, please visit Sally at sallylloyd-jones.com. And follow her on Instagram at Sally Lloyd-Jones and at Jesus underscore storybook underscore Bible. Before we go, don't forget, God loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Oh, hello. It's me again, Sally. I'm just popping back briefly to say two things. The first thing is, don't forget to subscribe to the show because that way you'll get the stories straight to your phone. And the other thing is, while we're at it, would you rate the show and leave us a review? That would be so great because it helps other people find the show too. I really appreciate your help. Thank you.